Hey everyone, this is Cameron, and we have made it to the end of our time in uh, the letter of Third John. This is the last devotional, and this concludes our second week of hopefully reading and rereading through the, the letter. Just to give you a heads up, uh, what we're going to do is we're going to encourage you for next week, or, or by next Sunday, um, to revisit the first sermon uh, we did on the letter of First John, which was the second week that we had our worship gathering back in March. Um, I'll, I'll repost it to the podcast, but um, we're going to invite people to re-listen to that because the plan is for the following week, so two weeks from this Sunday, to pick back up our sermon series through First John. And I'll have more information about what that's going to look like. Um, in short, uh, we're we're hopeful that Portland will enter phase one of Oregon's reopening plan, and we will be able to have small groups meeting in person for little house churches um, to coincide with that. But uh, there will be more to come on that for now. We're going to finish up uh, Third John here. Um, a few days ago, uh, you heard from Scott Whitley, who did a wonderful job kind of opening up um, the second to last section. And he walked us through what was going on with this man, Diotrephes, as he as he was writing to Gaius and basically letting him know that there was this conflict that was going on. There were these these issues uh, with Diotrephes' behavior. And one of the things that that kind of centered on was his refusal to sort of welcome in and show hospitality to these uh, traveling missionaries that were coming through. And so as he looks to conclude the letter, uh, he just kind of wants to wrap up. He's he's kind of playing off of that theme he's just laid out. Let's, let's read the last few verses together. Uh, it says, Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, so you know that our testimony is true. I had much to write you, but I'd rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends, each by name. And so coming off of his discussion about diatrophies and all the things uh, not to do, <laughs> like when he says here in verse 11, beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. He probably specifically is, is, is calling Gaius not to imitate the evil that he sees Diotrephes doing. Specifically here, um, he's probably thinking about this issue of hospitality and extending welcome to, to partners in the gospel, uh, people who are faithfully preaching the, the good news, who are, who are well regarded by those who they've been sent by. Um, Christians should play their play their part, whatever that is, in welcoming them, um, and not imitate the evil of refusing to do that in the way that Diotrephes was. Um, but of course, this is a, <laughs> this idea of not imitating evil but good, and then how he explains it. He gives um, a little explainer here in the second half of verse eleven. He says, "Because look, whoever does good is from God." And whoever does evil has not seen God. And this kind of intense statement, it's clear that it's, it's, it's 
reaching beyond just any one issue or this this hospitality issue in particular. It's not less than that, but it's more than that. And this imitates all kinds of teachings we see in the New Testament about what is the result of entering into a relationship with the God of the universe and having your sins forgiven of being known by King Jesus, um, of being indwelt by the Holy Spirit and in, in, in the process of being sanctified. What happens when, when you genuinely come to know and love God? Well, the scriptures are, are really consistent and the New Testament writers in uniformity say that the, the result ought to be obedience to Jesus. It ought to be faithfulness to what he's asked. And this can come into tension uh, because, of course, we one of the core tenets we believe is that we're not saved by works. We're saved by faith alone and what Christ alone has done for us on the cross. And we very much have to get that right. But that faith alone is to produce um, works. It's to be a faith that works. It's to result in life change. It's to result in, in a life of discipleship where the values and actions of Jesus become our own. That is the natural course. And so um, when we read a verse like this, whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. It's, it's a reminder that um, when we find areas in our lives that are sort of not aligned with the king and his kingdom values, that should give us pause. John uses a harsh word. This person who does these things has not seen God. Um, that doesn't mean believers can't sin. Uh, we can find all sorts of scripture that reaffirms the sinfulness of, of believers and our ongoing need for, for, for Jesus's righteousness to be our own and his forgiveness. Um, but it should give us pause to note that uh, the natural course would be for a life of progressive sanctification more and more. Action cannot be divorced from Christian belief. It must not be. Sadly, it is sometimes. But we still have to say in very strong terms that it can't be. We, we can't afford for it to be. Something is desperately wrong when it is. And the stakes of this are incredibly high. Uh, this is not just sort of religious niceties that we're talking about here. This is life and death in many cases. Uh, if, if you've been at all paying attention to the news, I'm sure you've heard of the murder of a man named George Floyd, an unarmed, handcuffed black man um, who was killed by a police officer who, who kept his knee on George's neck. Um, this was May 25th that this happened. And um, of, of course, it, it it's just the latest in a long, seemingly endless stream of these sorts of just blatant disregard for black lives in our country. And it's reignited, relitigated, re-sliced open the freshly unhealed wounds that are continually stockpiled on top of black Americans and anyone with the eyes to see. And when we think about, let's just take this specific event, there's, it's the embodiment, yes, of, of so much systemic injustice and system-wide issues that, 
extend from the way our criminal justice system is structured and the way accountability for police officers does or doesn't work. And um, it's co- encoded into the language of, of so many laws. Is, and we could go on and on and on. But the systemic can trace itself back and it, it expresses itself in the individual as well. And so for this this particular police officer, I at this point don't know anything about him but his name. But in that moment, it was vitally important that he would be someone who was not imitating evil, but imitating good. Someone who by doing good evidences that they're from God and, and by re- rejecting evil evidences that it is not the case that they have not seen God. And and I don't know the man's heart. I don't know his relationship with the Lord. I, I know that there is grace for him too, scandalously, if he were to turn and, and repent into Jesus. But we know and can say that what he did was unequivocally evil. And that in that moment, it was a matter of life and death that that man would show love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. When the scriptures call us to lives of of Christian integrity, where we we, we allow Jesus and his teachings and his, his moral vision for the world and how we treat one another, it isn't cute or nice (laughs) or uh or naive or anything else it's the god of the universe calling and empowering us to be his hands and feet to uh, work on his behalf uh, in our own small ways for for the restoration and reconciliation of his world and his people as even as we wait for him to finally do it in full one day our part in that is limited, it's small, it's, it's a shadow and a reflection of what he is ultimately going to do, but it is significant nonetheless. Our love and obedience has consequences. It has consequences for every interaction we have, and, and the aggregate of those things and those choices um, has consequences systemically and structurally and societally. For, for people that we know and love and for people who we will never meet but are called to love as well. So may we take the opportunity as we reflect on the murder of George Floyd and we just have to sit in the pain of that to, to examine ourselves, both as it relates to um, issues around race and racial injustice and inequality and, and all these things. And as it relates to to any other aspect of what it means to love God and and love neighbor as we go about life in this world, um, I suspect many of us are are, going to have a lot of repenting to do, a lot of reflection to do, um, a lot of education to do, and that is good and important work. So much more could be said about George Floyd, about race in our world, um, about how as a church we can, uh, we can learn to let Jesus disciple us into maturity and, and, and play our small part in bringing the good news to bear on, 
our lives and the lives of our neighbors and especially our black neighbors. This is going to be a long road. It has been a long road. It will be a long road. Um, but in this moment, we'll, we'll finish out the book of third John. Um, so if that's his call to, to not imitate evil, but to imitate good, um, to, to Gaius, he then moves into a commendation of this man, Demetrius. He says, verse 12, this man, Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. And we also add our testimony and you know that our testimony is true. So who's this Demetrius? Well, we just learned a few things about him in this passage. Um, he's received a good testimony from everyone. So he's, he's well-regarded, um, the truth itself, we're told, testified positively on his behalf. It's once I think it's similar to the idea we just discussed that that the truth of Christ has been noticeably working itself out in this man's life, powerfully, um, which is an amazing testimony for anyone to be able to say that. Um, that's amazing. And then we see that John and his community are, are adding their positive testimony to the pile as well. Um, presumably, this Demetrius was a, perhaps a traveling missionary who was one of the folks who's at risk of being rejected by Diotrephes and sort of his cohort within this community. Um, Colin Cruz, the commentator, wonders if perhaps Demetrius was the one who carried this letter um, and then was there to present it to Gaius. Um, which, which would be very interesting as, as well and, and very possible. Um, but in effect, John calls Gaius to, to welcome Demetrius and, and gives, puts in a good word for him um, so that he might be received and not rejected, as Diotrephes would probably do. And then he concludes with verses 13 through 15. And it's very, very similar almost identical to the language found at the end of second John. He says, I had much to write to you, but I'd rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon and we will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you, greet the friends each by name. And once again, it's just this call. He has more to say, but he doesn't want to write everything down because he, he just values face-to-face -face interaction so much. And it's once again, in, in this time of, of COVID-19, important to ask what is lost when we lack face-to-face -face interaction? Something significant. There's something that, um, that our technologies can't replace. Um, even Zoom, where we only see each other's faces. It's, I suspect Paul would, would say once again, that that's, it's not the same as true in-person physical fellowship. And I, I wonder too, as we, as we wear face masks, as we begin venturing out into public more and more as an act of, of love toward others, I'm trying to, trying to not spread the virus if we may be carrying it. Um, we should do that. Uh, but it raises the question, what is lost when we wear face masks in public interactions even? Like the face-to-faceness uh, gets gets distorted a little bit. You, you, you just can't pick up on all the body language and, and the little facial tics that just inform so much of our encounters. Uh, it's unnatural. It, it may be right and good. I believe it is for a time. But um, 
there's something about face-to-face interaction that the Bible just affirms again and again and again because it's so relational. And we see that relationality in the final verse as well. He, he says, peace to you. Peace, I assume, the kind of peace that can only come from relationship with the, with the God of the universe and, and the great healer. Um, then he says, the friends greet you. This word, philoi, um, might, might come from Jesus' description of his disciples as friends. In John 15, 13 to 35, he, he says, no one has greater love than a person that laid down his life for his friends. And and he says that the disciples are his friends because they do what he commands and because he treats them as such um, uh, by by telling them what he's learned from the Father. And so that friends language is actually not super common in the New Testament, but but Jesus uses, uses it in the Gospel of John. So it's unsurprising that John uses it again here. Um, uh, and it's, and it's a good way. And it's a good way for us to think of one another and our relationships amongst the people of God as, as friends, uh, as significant friends, as, as friends who share once again, the most important bond any two people can share, which is a relationship with the God of the universe, King Jesus indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Um, and then I just love this final note. He says, he says, the friends greet you. So the friends in my community greet you. And then he says, greet the friends, presumably in in your community, Gaius, each by name, just to take the time to say that and, and what that might be like as Gaius shared with his church community, this individual one on one greeting from John, uh, the beloved disciple. Um, I'd imagine that would have been a special greeting to receive. And that's how John concludes the letter. Well, I hope as we've been through second and third, John, you found these short little books encouraging and helpful. Um, I hope as, as we just are all in a collective state of mourning and, and, and anxiety, as we see, gosh, even rioting breaking out around the country, um, that we would be, as the people of Jesus, a, a people of peace, um, not a peace that papers over um, hard things, that papers over injustice, uh, that papers over a lack of righteousness where we see it. We're, we're never called to pursue, pursue that kind of peace, but a real and genuine peace that, that uh, self-sacrificially, peacefully, lovingly, in humble service, um, seeks, seeks the good of neighbor, seeks the good of our city, seeks the good of those who are most marginalized and downtrodden, seeks the good of everyone, uh, motivated by the fact that the God of the universe has sought us and has been good to us, chiefly on the cross. May we not be the kinds of Christians who've looked to the cross but then have behaved in John's words as those who do not know God. But may we be those who in every respect, in the way we we deal with every single thing, evidence in our obedience and in our love and in our pursuit of justice and righteousness and peace, that we are in fact from God. And as I said, this is not 
a conversation that ends today. Um, it's one we're in for the long haul. And so we'll continue to, to talk about these things, pray on these things, work towards these things as a community at Dwarf Hope Northeast. But for now, um, I want to respect your time and we will call it a day and call it our time in third John. So I hope you're as well as you can be right now. Take care.